We're moving on to chapter 3. Can I just check? Does anybody have a spare room? Yes. So we're going to read these first, uh, first four verses of, of chapter 3. Then I shall pause for a moment. Anybody wants to leave, they can. <coughs> so, we're going to put them up. Yeah. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won, may be won over without words, by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight." For this is the way that the holy women of the past put their, who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing can hinder your prayers. In, uh, as you know, I come from an Anglican tradition and when we read um, scripture in, uh, in our services, we end the usually end with saying, this is the word of the Lord. And everybody else says, thanks be to God. They're just occasions when you just hesitate. And this is one of those passages that on the face of it is difficult and hard. And we struggle with it. We could respond to it in a whole number of ways. And I suspect some of us already have, as we've heard it read. We could, of course, because it's hard, because it's difficult, we could just skip over it, couldn't we? We could have uh, said we're doing our series on 1 Peter and we could just quietly move on to verse 8 and see if anybody noticed. We could. We could do what Edward has done, go off to Canada. (laughs) Worse still, two weeks ago he read it and then didn't speak about it left it to somebody else. Or you could deal with it like Phil, who invites somebody else and then sends you an email, says, "Um, I've just thought I'd better let you know that we've reached chapter three. Brackets, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously though, this is quite a difficult passage. It's the kind of passage that might cause some people to say, there you are, the Bible is full of outdated nonsense. Or worse still, they might say, this is the kind of passage 
that um, means that we're in a situation where women are used and there is, it can be used to excuse violence and prejudice against women in, particularly in the marriage relationship. And I, for one, if that was the case, I would want nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm married to somebody who um, experienced a hugely abusive relationship, which put her in hospital. Fortunately, she found me after that. But seriously, if that's what it said, if that's what it meant, if that's what it did, if it encouraged that kind of attitude, then it really is something we don't want. Others might suggest that this is evidence that the Bible is contradictory. Does this passage suggest actually we are not equal before God? We've read elsewhere, if there is neither slave nor free, male or female, you are all one in Christ. Does that not suggest something different from what this passage is saying? Others might say, well, I believe that the Bible to be important, but then I think there are some bits that we can ignore. Bits that are sort of culturally outdated. I know some people over history have found the bits they didn't like in the Bible and one or two of them literally cut them out. Another possibility we might respond to by saying, some of us might be sitting there saying, well, this, this passage is surely to do with wives and husbands and that's not my situation. So I can ignore that because it's not speaking to me. We could have a whole number of responses to this passage. And probably all those and probably <coughs> a few that I've missed out. But if we believe that this is the word of God, if we believe that, as Paul says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, we can't just ignore it. We can't pretend it's not there. If I believe that the word of God is the inspired, the Bible is the inspired word of God in its entirety, and I do, I believe that there's sometimes when we have to get this passages like this and we have to wrestle with them a bit. Say, well, what, what is this about? How can, how can God speak to us in passages like this? And part of the problem, perhaps, is the way in which we read the Bible. It's easy for us to have heard that passage and in our minds decided what we think it means without much thought. But when we read the Bible, there are some important principles, some important rules that we have to have in mind. Firstly, there is the whole area of context. Val has heard me say hundreds of times before, there are three important rules when looking at Scripture. Context, context, context. You can't just pick a piece of Scripture out, just a few verses, and make it mean what you like without referring to the rest of the Bible. 
there is this passage it has a biblical content there are verses before it and there are verses after it it has a context when the this is part of a, a letter of peter to a particular group of people in a particular place at a particular time so it has a literary context it has a cultural context it has a historical context and as we've heard he's writing to groups of christians many of whom in these infant churches are coming up against growing local and but significant opposition and persecution so there is a church context into which peter is writing and when we're looking at a passage we have to look at it in the in the round in the context of all those contexts another is the whole question of language anybody who has been abroad or no learned a foreign language knows that uh, sometimes phrases in some languages mean something else in other languages don't they i think you know in our, our english language language is littered with a whole number of things that when you say it a foreign a person who speaks of uh, a different language will look at you and say what they don't always carry the same meaning they don't always translate easy into different languages and cultures even words change meanings and we get new words invented we have to remember that this this letter was lit, written in in greek biblical greek i think i might have told you before that uh, when i was at college i failed greek miserably and my principal had to write to the bishop because i had to have passed it to be ordained and my principal wrote to the bishop asking for special dispensation i think his his letter went along the lines of we we're struggling to teach this guy english we're never going to teach him <laughs> we're never going to teach him greek so all those things we have to take on board before we to help us to unpack a message such as this we can read phrases like wives be submissive to your husbands or husbands respect your wives as a weaker partner and think it means something that it actually doesn't in its context and its language so these are the kind of things that we need to think about when we read scripture it's very easy to read something like this with our 21st century eyes and our 21st century attitudes and not get the point not get what peter is talking about we have to ask ourselves what did this mean for the person who wrote it and what did it mean for the people to whom it was written and who heard it first once we get some sense of that we can ask well well if that was said to them and we believe this to be the living word of god what might it say to us and we ask the holy spirit to show us how we might apply it in our own lives so rather than just react to it let's 
look at the passage and let's apply some of these rules, some of these principles. Firstly, notice in verse 1, I'm sure you did, Peter says, Wives, in the same way, submit to your your own husbands. Now, if I was to go around to you and say to you, what are the three key words in that? You might say, well, wives, submit to husbands. But actually, the three key words are, in the same way. That's the context in which Peter is writing. In the same way, he says. Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands. Remember that uh, Peter is talking to these fledgling churches who are under pressure and he's giving them some advice about how they might live their Christian lives in the situation in which they are, in the reality of life as it goes on. And he says to, he talks to them in the previous verses about how they are to deal with relationships. And we've heard, as they come into contact with society, he says, I want you to know about how to deal with the government, how to deal with the authorities. One of the issues was slaves, and he says, I want you, I want you to know how to deal with slavery. And the third thing he comes, I want you to know how to deal with the marriage situation. And he said in verse 2, verse 13, sorry, chapter 2, verse 13, that you submit, submit to the authorities. And, and Phil talked about that a few weeks ago. And then in chapter, sorry, in verse 18, he says that slaves should submit to their masters, which as Edward covered a couple of weeks ago. And that submission, as we've heard, if you heard those talks, if you haven't, go back and listen to them, is that submission, the submission that Peter is talking about, is in the context of being free in Christ, being servants of God. It is not a passive submission to whatever. It's not a forced submission. It's a voluntary, active submission that is about living as servants of God and serving one another and those around us. And also being free to challenge evil and injustice when it arises. This is not a blind submission. This is different. So when it comes to the submission of wives to their husbands, it is, Peter says, in the same way. As I've talked about with these other things. Peter knows that we are new creations in Christ and that that changes everything. And indeed, if there are no male or female, slave or free, it changes everything, not least our relationships to those closest to us and not least in this particular passage, in the marriage relationship. There is a whole new world if you are in Christ In Christ you are a new creation. The old things no longer apply. We live in a new situation in which there are no male and female, slave or free. 
In fact, we could say that these words that Peter speaks are quite revolutionary and quite radical. Remember, he's speaking to a very patriarchal society. When a woman married, it was a strong expectation, probably probably stronger than that, that she would take on the religion of her husband. It would be something of a social disgrace for your wife to be worshipping differently from you. But here, clearly in the early church, that's what's happening. Because he talks about those who are married to people who do not know the word, who do not know Jesus. He could have said, if he's going along with the prevailing culture, he could have said, wives go, if your, if your husbands don't go, don't believe, go back and do whatever they tell you to do. Because that's what the society would have been demanding of him doing. But he's already said, I don't, we don't want to go back to the old ways. We're in a new situation in Jesus. We are free. Now he says, look, look at who you are. You are a child belonging to God, part of the royal priesthood, the holy nation. You are set free in Jesus. So in that knowledge and in that context, live out your marriage relationship being the best wife you possibly could be. Not least with a view to your husband, if he's not a Christian, that he might be one for the gospel by your witness when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. He is not asking them to submit to their husbands, submit to the marriage relationship as an inferior, but as an equal before God. And this is not, although he's talking about the marriage relationship in this context, clearly he is talking about relationships across the board. His message is that we are to be the best citizens that we can be the best workers that we can be, the best friends that we can be, the best husbands and wives that we can be, the best mums and dads that we can be, the best cousins and nephews and uncles and aunts and whatever, the best neighbours you can be, in the same way. To be the best that you can be And because through that, people might be one for Christ. People might be one for Jesus when they see in you. And I think that's a word for us today because (coughs) I, I think people today don't look for truth. When they look at something, they don't look to see if it's true. They say, does it work? Does it make a difference? And I think Peter's teaching is, if you are the best friend, the best neighbor, whatever, people will look at you and say it works. It makes a difference. Maybe this Jesus thing has something to say. He moves on. He challenges 
another cultural issue. If respect of this patriarchal structure was important in the first century Roman society, so was the whole thing about your physical appearance. See, we think that things like trophy wives is a modern phenomenon. It's not. It was prevalent in Roman society. We think that the fashion industry, the cosmetic business, is a modern thing. It wasn't. In the Roman culture of of the first century, women would spend fortunes in their clothes, their wardrobes, their makeup to to look as wonderful as they possibly could that they might bring honour to their husbands and to themselves. That was was the culture. Not a lot different. And so Peter challenges that, speaking directly into them. Your beauty, he says, verse 3, shall not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery on fine clothes. Rather, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. It's quite uh, um, strange, or I'm not, well, strange is probably not the word, that as I was preparing this on Friday, Val went to the hairdressers. Effectively, Peter is saying, please know that as a child of God, that your value and your beauty as a human being is not, and I repeat, not about what you look like, what you wear. For some of us, that's probably a good thing. And I think that's, doesn't that speak into our, again into our culture today? In this Love Island culture that many of our young people are being indoctrinated into, I need to hear that. It's not about what you look like. It's about the beauty of your inner self. That's not to say that um, we are to neglect our outer appearance. It's good for us, isn't it, to, to feel that we look okay. Um, some, there have been uh, some people over the years that have taken this passage. There's uh, one particular cult apparently that took this passage and said, well, it clearly means that you're not allowed to wear clothes. <laughs> and we can take things too far. But we do need to know, that would make church frightening, wouldn't it? <laughs> but we do need to know that our real value, our real beauty, is a spiritual one. And Peter talks of the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Again, we may hear that and think that's telling women to be quiet and gentle. But in Matthew 11, Jesus describes himself as gentle and humble in heart. One of the most powerful moments in the Gospels, isn't it, is in the upper room when he puts a towel around his his waist and washes the feet of his disciples. This is an act. That was an act of submission that flowed from the heart of one who was humble and gentle. You might remember that gentleness, of course, is a fruit of the Spirit. 
This is clearly not about Peter saying, you should all be quiet mouses in the corner, being seen and not heard. It's about our spiritual attitude and nature, about our inner life. For society, outward appearances were of utmost importance, but the inner beauty of character, heart and faith, that's what Peter says that we should focus on. Not least because that's what God looks at. And actually, it's what comes from the heart that's seen in the quality of our actions. And who we are and what we do. We read elsewhere about being servant-hearted. And this is not, again, just about the marriage relationship, but about all our relationships. Peter's not just speaking into marriage in this passage, but principles that affect relationships in all of life. That we might show one another that servant heart, that gentle spirit. To illustrate something of what he says, it's interesting that uh, uh, he uses the example of Sarah in the Old Testament. He who obeyed Abraham and called him master. You only have to read the story to realize it's not quite as it, as it might seem. Sarah's submission to Abraham could never be described as slavish. In fact, there were several times when he asked her what to do. The word she uses to call Abraham a master was more of a title of respect rather than a, 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 sub, a submissive one. And then he, on the back of Sarah's example, Peter adds a further important element where he pleads with these wives to not give way to fear. Fear can never be part of of a relationship between Christians married or otherwise. There's another way in which Peter redefines what he means by submission. And then after six verses devoted to the wives, he turns to the husbands. It's a bit like, I always say that um, whenever whenever I want to go shopping for a pair of shoes, you go into a shoe shop, and the whole of the ground floor and most of the upper floor is women's shoes, and the men's shoes are at the back with just a couple of racks. Six verses on wives and one verse on husbands. The challenge is no less... And again, we have the same words in the same way, he says. Like their wives, there is a call to be considerate as you live with your wives. The word translated considerate as you live is a more, has a more literal understanding, meaning of, of live according to knowledge of what you know of your wife. It means to live considering what you know are the needs of your partner, your friend, your neighbour. Always, uh, it's always interesting when we turn to the sort of Paul's sort of um, take take on all this in uh, in Ephesians, uh, when he speaks about husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What did Jesus do for the church? 
He went to the cross for us. Both Peter and Paul give that sense of sacrifice to the needs of your wife, which is powerful and challenging. And it's not what we would expect. We do come across another of those headline phrases when he says, treat them, as with, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Again, probably we'd react to that. If, there was a, if, if Peter was giving this uh, talk to somebody, the banner headlines in the tabloids the next day would be, Peter describes women as the weaker sex shock. Notice the sentence. And treat them with respect as the weaker weak partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Two things held together there, aren't they? The teaching is treat them with respect as heirs with you. This is not about putting people down and saying we're better, more important than you are saying that actually we need to realise that we respect one another because we're all heirs of the kingdom. The fact is, of course, and we can't get away from it, the fact is that women, by and large, are physically weaker than men. Fact. And part of the problem has been, hasn't it, that whatever men, whatever men want to do, if they want to, and they have, they can physically enforce their will to overpower women. Sometimes in the most appalling manner. So Peter says, look, you need to be considerate of that. And act respect, respectfully and considerately in that knowledge. knowing them not to be lesser beings, but like us, like you, heirs of the kingdom. Equal. In all ways before God. And then there's a warning. A warning to husbands. If you don't do this, it will hinder your prayers. It will affect your spiritual life. This is important. If we don't treat one another with respect, it will hinder our prayers. It will hinder our spiritual life. We know that in church life. When, we all, when, we, when there's division amongst the people of God... It hinders our prayers. We become less effective. So, hopefully as we've applied some of the things I spoke about at the start, we might start to read these verses as not blatantly sexist, therefore difficult or worse, irrelevant, but actually the opposite. They speak into our lives. They speak into our relationships. 
Peter is not supporting an archaic patriarchal system, but actually challenging it, both for husbands and wives, but for all areas of society in our relationships. We are called to relate to one another if we are in Christ differently. Having that servant heart for one another, not least to have that concern that others might be one for Jesus through us. He's calling us to look again, to focus on what's the important part of our humanity, our inner life. That's what's important. And that's what from everything which from which everything else flows. I want to uh, just finish by reading uh, the version of this passage from the message. Now, I'm, I have to confess, I'm not a great fan of the message because I think it skates over some really important theological nuances that, uh, and, and tries to make it too easy. But I think in this particular instance, I think it helps to sum up something of what Peter is trying to get across. So I'll read it to you. Actually, it's up on the screen. Therefore the same goes for you wives. Be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. There are husbands too who, indifferent as they are to any words about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewellery you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God in that way and were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham, would address him as, my dear husband. You will be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same, unanxious and unintimidated. The same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honour them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so that your prayers don't run aground. I think he captures there the, the essence of what Peter is saying. Yes, it's on, on the face of it, it's hard. And sometimes we read things in Scripture and we, we, we struggle with it. But sometimes we have to wrestle a bit. We have to dig a bit deeper. We have to think a bit harder. That we might hear what the Holy Spirit says to us and to his church. I'm grateful that uh, this also is the evening when we share communion. Because there's, in the act of communion, we come together. We come as individuals, equal before God, all forgiven sinners to receive from Him. None of us is special, none of us is different before God as we receive together. So we're just going to sing. Uh, a verse for a moment, and then we'll move into communion.